0: Welcome to the J3 University podcast. Each week we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience or physique enhancement. I'm your host John Jewett. Let class begin. Welcome everybody to the J3 University podcast. With me as always is Luke Miller, my co-host. Luke, how you doing my friend? Good, ready to rock. All righty. Today, we'll be focusing on improvements for the stage and how we base training around that assessment. And with me is two gentlemen, uh, from, and you know, Kalim, which online physique specialist, co-founder of the Muscle Mentors, competitive bodybuilder himself, and also Mr. Joe Jeffrey, online physique coach, business is the physique collective, um, both extremely smart gentlemen in exercise programming, nutrition. And these are the guys that I went on to really pick their brain because of the training they've been implementing um, together, but also within their, within their coaching business and they're very well educated and educators. And that's what we want here for J3 University. So gentlemen, how are y'all doing today? Who speaks first? Caleb, <laughs> Caleb, go ahead, my man. How are you doing? All good, all good thanks, mate. Yeah,
1: we've uh, I've been on um obviously solo episodes with Luke, and we have one with Joe as well. I think as a trio, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this for sure.
2: Joe, my okay. good friend, how are you? Yeah, I'm a, I need to warm up my brain a bit, man. I've,
0: been, I've had a bit of a mad so yeah, to- a long one. <laughs> <run. Yeah, laughs> long one. Coaching, coaching clients or training? Was it? Was it? Is this post leg day?
2: No, I, it's actually my. I'm off the gym today. I had a piece of gym equipment delivered today, and he turned up with like, um, no, I don't know what you call it, like pallet lift oh, or something to get it off and, the truck. Uh, oh, wow, it's a long story, man. I won't bore the listeners with it, but, but the bloke didn't speak English either, so it was like I'm out like sign language to him, and
0: he's like, Yeah, man, you lift, we'll just lift this into the house. Be like, No, 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 this is.
2: It's a 400 kilo piece of kit and there was only me and him there. <laughs> then I was like, bro, how's this coming off? And he's talking to me in a different language. I'm like, what? Oh, no. uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. We sorted it out in the end, but I am
0: knackered now. So, Cal, Cal where are you at? Um, are, are you approaching into a contest prep? Uh, so
1: we're, we're just about to start well, what will be my next off-season phase. So
0: okay. me
1: and Joe have had, uh, it's coming up to a year now, isn't it, after the after the show. I competed last in 2019, um, and uh, last year saw me go from 200 pounds to 300 pounds in the first push. And now we're starting this next push at, I was like 296 this morning after after a tidy up. So the last like eight weeks or so, we tidied up body composition. Got appetite back into a good place. Got my GI sorted again after that first climb, um, and now we've got kind of a clean slate to move from again.
0: That's massive, 200 to 300.
1: Yeah, it was a big, big old push that first one.
0: No, because you hear, you hear that when someone's going to hear this, they're going to say like, "Oh man, this guy had to go super sloppy, like uh, dream bulker style." Um, what, what was this like a reasonable composition?
1: Yeah, Like yeah. I think, I think now, now like. We, I think we, uh, we held like two two the, like the very low 280s when I recomped from that first push, and like now I could I think me and Joe could safely say if we, like, if we went for it, I could probably be ready for a show
3: in 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah, nice. the same thing. I thought your pictures you posted recently like 12 weeks out, like yeah, on the nose, probably. yeah
0: and then Joe, where are you, where are you at? Are you entering into a contest pro? <laughs>
2: You know what? I've um, I did a bit of a push this year. I've had a strange year when it comes to my own physique development. In the first lockdown, I literally lost like forty pounds, but not in a good way. Um, <laughs> forty pounds of muscle. <laughs> um, dude, I'm not gonna lie to you. I stopped training, like stopped eating. Just got myself in a pretty bad place. Didn't have access to a gym. Was going through moving house and. I actually admittedly pushed my client load way too high. Mm. Um, Working 14, 15 hours a day, forgetting to eat, stuff like this. So this year was somewhat redemptive for me, where I'm now at about 2.45 after a bit of a recomp. And I was 200 then, I pushed up to about 2.55. Now at about 2.45, been just cruising for a while, got some blood work booked in for tomorrow have a look at that, see if everything's good to go. And then I'll probably just it down for a bit. But I'm not competing this year simply because I've got too many clients
0: competing. Yeah, it's nice. That's, it's a good problem to have. That's well, the nice way stuff. the
2: shows have gone is, um, yeah. I mean, I would have usually had some in March and, you know, some, some here and there, whereas they've all been pushed back again and again. Yeah. And what's ended up is having, I've got 16 clients in the same show in June. So it's like, um, you know, whereas it would have been like maybe three, 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 three so um very stressful time coming. I bet it's the same with you, Cal. Well
1: it's cause all the like we we've obviously had like uh an initial show calendar released for the main feds over here, and then all the shows have been coupled together within like a three month period. So it's it's not really been possible to plan it any other way, has it?
2: Mm, no. And there's select shows that people want to do. Mm. Like that piece here first time is in June everyone wants to do that the fit expo yeah. everyone wants to do that you know so it all ends up grouping into one it's going
1: to be fun but this comes back from like even the back end of last year that I think there were like four four three or four shows that ran last year and that was it for the entire season so now everyone's obviously getting itchy feet wanted to compete and it's obviously been blo- blocked into a small time frame again but I'm, I'm just grateful there's there's going to be some shows this year which is the main thing mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm sure for you guys, like the the opportunities for shows is a lot different than for us in the states. Like in, in Texas, we we could almost have a show like every single weekend or every other weekend. It's 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 pretty incredible, which is an issue as well because it kind of waters down each show a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I it, it's it gets overwhelming, I guess, even on our end because if they like my wife, she's doing the uh, it was Puerto Rico Pro for her pro debut in wellness. And it got moved to the Bahamas. Oh, damn, going to the Bahamas. But they find out, you're, if my clients find out I'm going to a show, they're like, oh, we'll do that show too. So now I have uh, seven competitors doing Bahamas. I'm like, oh, shit. Renee's like, hey, I'm your number one client, right? I'm like, they've ever, all clients are, you know, they retreat equally.
3: <laughs> I'm doing the same shit with Italy right now. Like, I have like two other people that want to do Universe, which is the natural qualifier she's going to do. She's like, you got to say no. She's like, I'm looking at <laughs> universe. You got to say no. <laughs> That's
0: my show. <laughs> well, with the talk about competition and stage, this is what I wanted to kind of get into is, uh, you know, looking at the improvement season and, and that, that starting point of a needs analysis. And, and what does that really look like for, for both of you and, and for getting into your clients? Uh, you know, is it looking at the judges' feedback, stage picks? How does that, that, that assessment start out? For, for you both, um, or, or Cal, if you want to go ahead and, and start there. I think uh,
1: something that me and Luke spoke about briefly on the podcast interview before, where like needs analysis for a client is going to come from collectively, probably what feedback they're coming off from that last show, what potentially has been, uh, what, what have you got from those last potentially two or three improvement phases in terms of development and where their physique is at currently, and I think we've all got clients where, you kind of you, you look at photos and you're like you, you just need to improve systemically everywhere. And then we've also got clients that are at that niche of maybe everything's more or less more or less there in terms of collectively looking pretty set. But then you know for me it might be oh we need to focus on bringing my legs up now my upper body's got a little bit bigger or we're going to have more specific bias towards uh, the programming that we're going to put in place for those training blocks. So. Obviously, criteria-wise for the different classes that we're looking at, male and female, they're going to be different areas that we potentially need to bias in programming anyway. But I think for most clients, it's either going to be, those are the obvious areas we need to develop and and focus on in programming because these areas are so dominant, or it's going to be a case of, you know, everything needs to come up here realistically to get to
0: the level you want to get to. Yeah, that probably sets also looking at the training level of the individual and also the duration of what that period might be. And, and probably set, I'm sure that a lot of this is setting expectations out the gate with clients. Cause you come off a show, you're like, all right, I'm ready to move up to the national level. Um, I'll compete again in six months. Like, ah, no, it's prob- probably not like, you know, and, and you have to say, okay, what is your training age? What can we pull out? And what does that timeframe look like? And I think that that is probably a huge, huge piece of it to build out this like kind of long-term plan. Of course, you don't know someone's response, right? Um, what does what, what does that conversation look like for for clients? I'm sure you have them at all different levels.
2: Yeah, I think worth worth noting on that as well. Like Cal said, maybe the individual needs to grow systemically. The question will then be like, can they? Depends again on the training
0: age of the individual. What are their biologically unique requirements
2: for that individual? What are their volume requirements? There has to be a discovery period first before we can plan and execute the plan. Before I think we can say, well, we need to grow a uh, medial delts, that's bikini competitor, uh, hands, glutes, medial delts, lats or something, you know, um, we need to do this. It's like, well, can we even do that? And how do we even do that? We need some information first. How we set that up of course would be pretty basic step forward, but you need to learn where that individual's response is and what their requirements are first. I think before you can have that next step in the conversation,
0: yeah, I completely agree with that. And so, if you had someone that comes to you that has this X Y Z program, and you have a jump-off point, sort of a start from there, uh, you know, what are what are common things that you're starting to to implement? What what's your general outlook on setting up the initial uh, kind of microcycle plan week to week to start having those uh, those tools to gauge and say, okay, this is what we need to move forward from here. What is, what is your kind of general approach look
1: like for that? I think one thing that I've found over the last couple of years with clients and even like the higher the caliber of client, I find it more, more apparent as well is everything that's presented to you at the start is a little bit of a mess in terms of the thought process. Like they don't really have an idea of why they're doing anything. Like why are they picking those exercises? What are the flow of the sessions themselves? Like the exercise selection and like completely overlooking the importance of execution. We'll get to that in a second, but just like the thought process behind the programming. And I think one thing that I'd probably bias doing there at the start is potentially bringing everything down to a minimal effective dose and seeing what happens and then start to manipulate things from there. Once we've got that kind of clean slate to work with.
2: Mm, Exactly as Cal said there. I'm I'm literally fresh off a, a call with a client that I've been working with not too long but I wasn't looking after her training It's an um, IFBB pro bikini competitor. We've identified there's potentially some issues in fatigue management and things like this. So um, she's asked if I can pick up on the training as well. So it's literally, we have the call. What are you doing right now? You know, here's the split, but there's, it's basically like beat the life out of everything every day. Um, no progression scheme, no planned accumulation phase, no paradigm of accumulation phase to deload. You know, so right now it's going to be, okay, well let's pull everything down to roughly what sort of maintenance stimuli would be for these body parts because we've identified the sort of specificity of of growth that we need in an advanced competitor like her. Um, And let's really slowly titrate up this with things that we haven't looked at before because maybe we don't need to go all the way to um, pushing up volume to X amount. Maybe the first thing we need to do is just get the execution perfect with the correct movements. You know, a simple conversation like training the lats. See, I do loads of lat pull downs. Uh, you know, we're talking about the sort of um, spinal extension, rear delt style lat pull down. We're not really training the lat yet. So, me pushing that up to whatever amount of sets with whatever accumulating intensity. It doesn't matter so we've got some fundamental things but even that is a novel stimuli in and of itself we all know that's why progressive overload works because it's 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 a novel demand there's an adaptation to any newly imposed demand we might not even need to get that kind of stuff out yet so there's going to be a titration that in and of itself is accumulation almost that intra-set volume like we spoke about on the last podcast you know just turning that set of lap downs into a an actually efficient set of lap downs. Yeah. Is a big increase in stimuli.
3: And Callum, one of the things I have to pull out real quick is, especially even, even in those high level competitors like IFBB pros and stuff, one of the things I've seen is like classifying that goal for each pattern drastically increases that interest set like uh, stimuli that we're going to be able to get. And it's a lot of the times it's perpetuated with these like bro type of thought process of like, this is a thickness movement. This is a width movement type of a session. And it's like, they come to you like, I I don't know how to grow my lats. And you look at their session and it's like five movements of upper back. Right. Or it's not even anything that's going to be very close to developing a lat, especially when we start to break down the execution. Do you see that like in that early phase, like within the program written, if we, assess goals for each pattern that you see more of like a click coming on because like that's one thing that i do on the first setup for someone especially for someone high caliber is like not only write exercise with you know cues and and reps and things like that but associate the goal of each pattern within the program yeah
1: it's it's, it's given the uh like we said before is like it's taking a program that has no purpose and then giving it meaning behind everything it's doing. And I think once you've got the meaning behind the exercise selection, then that's where the actual adaptations are going to occur because we then have a thought process of, right, we're, we're training, we're training back today, but do we even, have we even established a full contractile challenge with the exercises we're picking in the first place? And the chances are most of the programs that are just thrown together on the cuff aren't
0: doing that in the first place. And that's the biggest spot we've got to take to start. Will you guys start with the video? Like if they send you, you have someone fill out this qu- this questionnaire, here's my training program. And you're like, okay, they're doing like 10 sets of everything. Like this is probably poor quality. Do you start with pulling that back and here's your base plan to start with? Now let's look at some video footage or is it, Hey, send me some foot. Vo- is there some video assessment done pre um, then implementing in the training plan? Like where do, where does that portion fit into that?
2: I'll put, I'll put some programming together as this is where I see the skeleton chain because my programming is counselors I don't have, um, or rather with my clients, I don't program blocks of training in totality in the same way that I wouldn't program a block of nutrition. It's always auto-regulating and yeah. ever-adaptive. So maybe, you know, I'm going to keep using this person as an example. Maybe i would just have this bikini athlete let's say, well, we're going to do like three sets of chest, but um, eight sets of back, maybe six of that's on lats. You know, these are very low volumes, but maybe we're going to go to like two RIRs. And so, you know, it's all very low stimuli, but now I want to see perfect execution across the board for all of these movements before anything happens to that. Um, So it's accurately tracking before we potentiate anything from that set baseline and the, um, the execution footage is mandatory
0: with clients yeah gotcha. I would uh sorry go on John go on. yeah no I was do y'all use um the album uh, oh, a development to where you you've they they can send it through a certain uh, medium like do y'all use like whatsapp or something for videos or because you know with a lot of these people that are listening are like coaches and like making that a process efficient is really challenging. It's like, Hey, film every single set and send me every single, you know, and it can be overwhelming on both ends. Right. Cause you don't want to take away some from someone's training or be like overwhelmed with watching like 20 sets of training per day. Um, how do y'all, how do y'all manage that on a, just a coaching end?
1: I, I personally, sorry, cut you off, Joe. I personally let it compile a little bit. So I'll say like, do the next three sessions or do the next week and take three 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 videos for a for a session or i want you to video these specific movement patterns this week so we don't we don't have someone sending me in 30 videos to watch and i'll wait until they've checked in for the week and then i'll just run through the entire the entire bunch of it might be 10 videos for the week whatever it might be instead of every single day oh they've they've just trained i'm going to spend half an hour texting them now i'll just do it all in one go so it's more time efficient that's personally how i'd like to do it unless Unless you want to spend all day on your phone speaking to every single client like that, then you won't
0: get anything done. Mm-hmm. And, and people do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think, that, I mean, it's a takeaway because like uh, a lot of people ask us like about coaching and coaching efficiency and, and managing clients. And because it's easy, just like you said, Joe, like when you start even starting a business uh, to say no, you know, for client load. And to take it on and then all of a sudden you're working off your phone all, all day long using like five different apps to do it, text, email, WhatsApp, or all this stuff. And it can be very overwhelming. So having that efficiency and being able to manage them is, is extremely important. But uh, yeah, in, in, anyway, so we have this like initial setup of the first week, right? And we're going to monitor it. So once we have these things established, um, what, are, what are you tracking along the way? To monitor changes of when we're ready to, whether it be increase effort or increase volume. Like, what is what is that main progression tool that y'all are using to drive up stimulus? And I know we, we're continually always trying to improve quality, and quality is just a stimulus within itself. But once once we have these things established, like someone that is advanced that has this execution down, um, you know, how how does that block progression look? Not that we're, you know, gonna. Um, reactively or proactively program a block but going week by week all right this person's ready what are those things that you're looking for to to progress from there
2: so outside of set numbers i do modulate sets up and down throughout mesocycles as according to session feedback i use a lot of like um perceived recovery pumps soreness stuff like that after each session but outside of that i have a progression scheme in place i'm really anal i'm a really uh, anal coach i don't like go and try and get a rep or you know, see if you can add load to the bar on this one. I can't work like that. It has to be right on this movement. This is what's happening this week. And then this is what's happening this session, and this session. If you can't do it, there's a reason why and we're gonna work it out. I'm relatively, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Privileged to be able to do that because of the clients that I work with. Um, I don't coach any gen pop anymore. Everyone I coach is doing this and pretty much only this. So the sleep and the stress management 99% of the time is there. There's never deviances in nutrition. Everything's nailed. So it gives me that luxury of being able to say, here's the progression scheme. We're going to add 2.5 kilo to the bar and match reps each week on this movement. We're going to add one rep per set on these movements. And then sets can modulate as according to that per session feedback week on week. The goal is always to get to the point of, functionally overreaching to some degree, like, or, or rather an inability to progress further within that accumulation block. Um, so working from maybe, I mean, ideally the first week would like be just enough to get a response. And that's something that I have like had to work on with Cal, you know, someone that trains stupid hard and is really strong, Smash the nervous system to bits in the first week. Can't do much from there. So we want to have this threshold Okay, this is like the minimum amount of work to get something. And then we go from there up and I try to recreate that with every client. Over time, it becomes this like biologically unique, perfect formula, but it takes a long time,
0: you know? And that that's changed a lot for you, Joe, over these past few years because you've done mm-hmm. DC and basically logbook. And I, I've, I've heard you speak on RIR and kind of, kind of jokingly say not, you know, not to use yeah. this method. And it's, you've kind of come full around to implementing some of these tools. So how, how has that thought process changed? And what have you seen result wise, maybe within yourself or even clients, um, making those type of shifts?
2: Yeah, I think on that one, I think that's a great example of like something I've had in emotional belief and I've exerted it using ego, which is like an embarrassing thing to look back on. I changed my mind on stuff all the time. And Cal knows that I've been like popped down on social media because of that. I think you're an idiot if you don't change your mind in light of new evidence.
0: Um I, I completely agree with you too. Because yeah. I, I came from a background of DC powerlifting, and it becomes an identity of like you're the guy that trains hard and you're the guy that goes all out to failure. And people like start like following you and believing you because of that. And to change on that, you're like losing this part of yourself or people are like, Oh, you you train like a, a pussy now, uh, it's like no. You're, you're just. You, I think if you're truly an educator, and you always have an open mind to change. So that by no way is that that a, a weakness. I think it is absolutely a strength. But I wanted to pick on that because I think a lot of uh, in in bodybuilding um, we have these camps that form the very dogmatic, and you have like the logbook chasers that go so far into that variable that you're just chasing strength. And it's like, is that truly the you know, the adaptation that we're only after, and you, you kind of get looking at the wrong thing. Um, it's versus, ego.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. Ego. yeah. Bullshit, really. At the end of the day, I, I'm obsessed with hypertrophy, you know, optimal physique development was my brand from how many years ago, I, I want to know how to optimally grow the physique, I don't want to look cool screaming the gym down or, you know, be part of whatever crew, take the piss out of reps in reserve on Instagram or whatever nonsense. People want to waste their time. doing. It. At the end of the day, you take a step back and it wasn't agreeing with the evidence. It wasn't agreeing with anecdote from clients. So I've it. at the end of the day and what I would find over time is that training to failure has great utility. Like that's clearly defined in the literature when it comes to activation of higher threshold motor units, greater cell swelling, greater metabolite accumulation. These things exist, but there's a cost and within a cost benefit ratio, there's a time and a place to go to failure. Um, Every set is not the time because it's not worth the trade off to other vectors of hypertrophy. Like volume is the key driver of hypertrophy. I don't think there's a key driver of hypertrophy. I think there is a balance of all of the vectors when it comes to tension. So load on the bar, volume, effort slash intensity, frequency, perfect internal focus and execution. Some kind of perfect amalgamation of these results in the most progressive and productive training programming. And I've found the greatest utility with intensity and using reps and reserve to be accumulating from what is actually minimally required, like we said with canopy, up to the point of yes, we can push to failure, use force reps and whatnot, maybe in the last week of the mesocycle when fatigue isn't the limiter. And this, in my experience, is exponentially more important in advanced trainees because the nervous system cost, the sympathetic cost of cow going to failure on a front squat is so limiting when it comes to generating volume elsewhere there's a great cost there in a beginner nah, You know, not, not so much they may not even know where failure is and I've also dropped that thing I used to say, I think beginners should train to failure because it teaches them where failure is I think that's a bit nonsense as well. I think maybe you say go to two reps in reserve, and then next week add a rep, then a week after that add a rep, then a week after that they'll get failure eventually.
0: They'll eventually get there, right? And then they'll learn effort.
2: <laughs> or they'll just be the next Jay Cutler. So yeah, sweet.
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking superhuman. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I have a great yeah. client now, right? <laughs> no. uh, oh, that the, oh, there's something I want to come back on that on progression and and changing that many variables week to week. Um, I want to come back to that. But Cal, like we brought in because you were, I guess you probably had a mindset like probably like a lot of us here is is like an emotional attachment to training extremely hard throughout sets, high effort, going and dr- grinding out those last few reps. So Cal, this was, this had to be a big emotional, psychological change to even be willing to implement this. Um, what was that like for you? And when you work with clients, do you have some clients that their psychology just, just doesn't even match with it and they just they they just won't enjoy training and so that adherence aspect has to weigh in is like you know what this is someone i have to kind of compromise on and maybe have some approach that we have high effort that they can you know dig in on but maybe have some balance and we're like hey can we can we compromise and not go all out within yeah. that so maybe That's start it. start with yourself and, and what you experienced um like I, I'm
1: probably the the epitome of the, the logbook meathead person for many, many years. Like I've, I've been coached by Jordan. I trained with Jordan for a year or so in Manchester. Um, and if Jordan Pete is the epitome of that dogmatic group of like, despite any cost has progressed, I, I've been immersed in that for the last couple of years. And, you know, I think we got to a point where it's like, right, there, there's got to be more of a thought process here as opposed to me just going and burying myself every single time I train because you know, the way we're approaching the diet and the way we're approaching anabolics and the way we're approaching recovery is all systematic. But the training approach is like, just throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And I was going into sessions and I was like, there's, I know what I need to hit today, but there's no thought process to like, do I need to go there today? Do I need to pull back? Like, when do I need to, when do I need to pull back in terms of intensity? When do I need to recover? When do I need to do that much volume? Um, so it's just, it was just a case of having a slightly more systematic approach to what was going on. And I think the big thing that's changed it for me is ever since I've been at this upper echelon of body weight, the intricacies that I have in terms of recovery are massive. So I can't, I can't spend too long taking sets beyond failure before my body just falls apart and breaks. Like if I go and do a, a max front squat, that could take me three or four days to recover before I, before I can even train effectively again. So like for, from the thought process here with Joe, it's like, right, how can we, how can we formulate something that continues that, uh that rate of adaptation, but doesn't necessarily need to equate to me bearing myself every single time I go into the gym. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. Go on. No, I just continue because I, I just have a follow-up question on like how narrow that RIR window looks like for someone that's a little bit more advanced. Because, in my opinion, just from what I've seen, is that as we get more advanced, that RIR window of effective reps, if we want to term it that, is, is very narrow. And the utility in it may be just like a safety precaution type of a guidance. And I know John's spoken on this before in like the RIR across different patterns will be different. So like your single joint patterns are to failure. Maybe those, those bar type squat patterns are are one rep and reserve from a safety perspective and commenting on like what that window of RIR looks like within this. So that as we phase into why we would control so many vectors across programming that I know John wants to dive into setting that as a framework of like what does that progress across a, a block and how narrow that window is. I think it's yeah. very, go on, Joe.
2: Sorry, Cal. Go on,
3: bro. I was gonna say when I first started doing it,
1: I, I didn't know I didn't know where to stop. I was like, I feel like I can do one more, so I'm gonna try one more. <laughs> I was like,
2: right, I'll do one more again. <laughs> I'm gonna butt in. I'm gonna butt in. I actually think that's good because that's an argument that people would use, like, yeah, I don't know what two hour hours. Are. Well cool. Just take it to, you know, kind of where you think it is. And next week do one more, like we said. Next week, do one more. Yeah, you're going to learn what RR it was because yeah. if you get three more, maybe one, maybe some adaptation's taking place here. Yeah, you know, in an advanced athlete, how much adaptation's taking place in like four weeks? Maybe not a lot. Um, So you may have been at three if you can pump out three more over the next three weeks or maybe at two because you've sort of got that one adaptation of one rep. You know, it's pretty easy to get, and it doesn't need to be so perfect. You know, the point is just fatigue accumulation, not like ensuring that rep was exactly two reps in reserve. It's more so just doing what you need to do that week for sufficient amount of stimuli to drive the adaptation of hypertrophy and still be able to come back and be productive in the sequential sessions to follow.
1: I think, the biggest, thing, I think the biggest thing for me has been um, the thought process of applying that, but to the, to the movement patterns that I know are very neurally expensive. It's like Mm. at the moment, it'll be like a front squat, an RDL, an incline barbell press, a barbell rent over row. And I know for a fact that, you know, a single arm D handle lap pull down, I can probably take failure every single week and it's not going to have that much of an impact. But the barbell row and the hip pinch in the front squat, having that thought process means that I'm not. I'm not just constantly chasing my tail, not really know if, if, if I can go into that session and do that this, this following day. There's more of a thought process like, no, we're, we're doing this in a manner that can sustain that level of progression because I'm not always taking it to that 100% threshold.
2: Mm. Yeah, Luke, I'm, I'm going to agree with you as well. I think like from an evidence-based perspective, when it comes to proximity to failure, it appears like the majority of motor units are activated around that five reps in reserve. You're going to sort of accrue marginally more as you go on. um, A beginner could train with five reps in reserve and get fabulous results as you get more advanced. But I would typically, with Cal, um, not go further away than two reps in reserve. And we will accumulate up to force reps and rest pauses and stuff like this. Two reps in reserve is hard. Like, There's a lot of people that that sort of talk trash about not taking sets to failure. And you'll watch one of their sets on Instagram. They train with one rep in reserve anyway. So you know, it's writes off the argument. If you train it like an average one to two reps in reserve all the time, I mean, it's probably a little bit further than you need to go. Maybe that two markers pretty safe, but you'll be all right anyway. But if you actually train to failure, like does, is unsustainable when you're that strong.
0: Yeah. I think the the fallacy amongst many is the application of the definition of training to failure. It's like, And then they're like, yeah, which all oh, I'm trying to fail, they're like, do you? Um, even for me, like uh, a lot of times it's, I'm trying to complete quality reps. And a lot of times that is me finishing my last rep, not going to a point of concentric, you know, failure where I can't continue. Like us move and start safe, like like Cal, like a front squat or or an RDL, the risk of injury is way too high trying to actually train to you can't move the weight. Your, your form breakdown is probably going to happen. And then what are we doing at that point? Are we training movements from point A to point B or actual training to train muscles? And that's what bodybuilding is, training muscles. So I think, you know, RIR has has good application. And uh, you said, so Joe, like for, for Cal, like you would start the beginning of a block, like a two RIR. And these are on these main compound movements. Isolation movements, we can maybe address those, what that would be programmed at. And then what does that progression look like because for some of these compounds we're not going to take them to a zero RIR right just the risk is maybe not there unless it's something real braced maybe a, I don't know a leg press or something um yeah how, how does that progression look like then for say for for cows of course
2: it's going to differ sort of individual to individual but I'll I'll frame it for cows programming so I would give the guys of like the first week two to three you know it might be more like three on the front squat, like Cal was talking about, it might be more like two on the movements with a little bit less fatigue, um, higher stimulus output movements. And then as the weeks go on again, it's not a perfect system, but week two might be one to two. Week three might be sort of one on the heavier movements, zero, I say heavier, higher fatigue and movements, zero on the isolation movements. And then week four, would be a similar one, but introducing force reps where possible, or maybe taking that front squat to the point where, fuck, am I going to get another one? Am I going to pass out? You know, what's it going to be? The kind of end point there, but, you know, safety's always got to be a concern. Like, we're training at home at the minute with, you know, very unstable um, setups, in Callum's case. Um, Apart from I saw you got that cable, man. That's quite cool. Um, Yeah, I've been getting out the home uh, dining room gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all that matters is that we accumulate alongside everything else. You don't have to do it this way. You know, uh, at the end of the day, you could do something, you know, like Dr. Scott has in fortitude where all your sets are like to one or two in the tank and then the last sets to failure. That's fine. Ultimately I think that's pretty perfect in terms of not limiting yourself in terms of further progression. I just don't think taking every set to all out failure is smart.
0: So with, with these accumulation phases, so we have to say you know what is an adequate stimulus and if you're starting the beginning of a training block with a little less and you're ending it with more like it, or, or can we even say we're ending with more because um each week you're just doing more um mm-hmm. does it necessarily mean you had an adaptive response the week prior how do you even know that um or, you know what, you, what are you tracking to say that and how do you know that you're adapting so fast week to week that we have to drive up Stimulus so much week to week, you know the argument of like, look, could we hold more variables constant across this block, and maybe it all averages out the same?
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. Like, we could say, hey, does uh, keeping sets at uh, ten per week is that is that the same as going from eight to twelve? Sure. Um, quite possibly, but I think it robs you of the opportunity to discover your sort of maximum end of things, and also how you accumulate up there from the minimum and have perfect fatigue management all the way. I think you put yourself in a bit of a spot where it's not so easy to assess session to session bouts of, you could say, the magnitude of the stimulus. You could use things like pumps as a somewhat useful example, or track the sort of muscle damage via soreness is an indicator to per session. I think that's something that Dr. Mike Israel told us I quite like doing that with clients where it's like, if you still have soreness, by the time you get to the next session, there's probably a magnitude of muscle damage that's gonna impede your ability to progress. So the sets on that previous session may be a little bit too high. I know soreness doesn't correlate with hypertrophy, but using that as, a, you know, as an auto regulatory um, method of tracking muscle damage, at least, I found utility in when we wouldn't take a set progression, for example. You know, we wouldn't increase the sets if there's this overlapping soreness and the pumps were pretty good and the progressive overload was going on. So how do you know there's an adaptive mechanism occurring? The same way that anybody progressively overloads, like don't get me wrong, this all sounds like a bit, you know, I can see someone commenting now, like um, this guy's got his head too far in the science or some shit, (laughs) like like, at the end of the day, like me and Cal are just like, meatheads we like lifting weights, but it gets to a point where like, if you're addicted to progression, and you can't progress. You have to find a way to progress. And the trend line is the same. You just have to get a little bit more techy with it to make it manageable. So at the end of the day, we're still putting weight on the bar. We're still doing more reps. It's just how we get there in a productive manner that doesn't break you in the process and discovering that sort of that biologically into individual, I know I keep using that term, but it's, so, it's quite unique in Cowell's case because his volumes are very low. You know, these, believe me, I'm not saying I'm a high volume trainer or something like this. I, I think low and high volumes are these weird concepts that don't necessarily exist. There's no definition of either. There's a suitable amount of volume for everybody. And if you're super strong, your sort of total volume per battle per set, is gonna be a lot higher. Like I guarantee Cal gets about the same total volume on one set of hack squats that I get on like four. So my requirements are probably gonna be higher. I'm sure his, although like neurological adaptations do take place. I'm sure his nervous system isn't like Jay Cutler and mine's like Pee Wee Herman. You know, there's like, <laughs> there's some similarities there. You're ultimately going to break quicker. I, I do get what you're saying, John, but, like holding things stable. I think that's fine. I think it's worked well for many people. I think you can progressively overload over time like that. I just think there's a better way to manage fatigue when you're this strong.
1: I'll come in there and say as well that. I think we spoke about this Luke before where like, I've got different clients where I'll keep the initial volume that I started with constant for the majority of the phase and I won't change it because I'll just be coming back. I've got stronger. I've progressed. I'm recovering well. It's like, sweet. I'm just going to sit back and let this happen. So the program might look like the same from week one to week 16, but I'm also going to have clients where I just don't trust their ability to be able to overload consistently on the same parameters, whether, They don't have the mental capacity to take themselves there, whether they're just not neurologically, you know, made up to progress in that manner in a linear fashion. And I'm going to be a little bit more specific about, right, in week one all the way through to week four or week six or week eight, this is the adjustments we're going to make. And I'm a bit more proactive with the changes as opposed to reactive on a week-to-week basis. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. And I, I guess one of the things I also would want to question is like, and Joey, this may be taking what you stated out of the framework and within the specificity of Callum himself is the progression of variables on that so short of a t- timetable like do we need that aggressive of a progression in stimulus across a four week block like can we not maximally stimulate the adaptation that we're looking for in hypertrophy with more consistent variables and just progressions within session across a longer timetable and elicit you know, probably a similar, or I would argue maybe a better response because the, the, we're not riding this up down wave constantly every four weeks. Like we're not pulling down to this baseline to our IR every fifth week. Right. We're, we're riding the variables out a little bit longer.
2: Hmm. I don't think it has to be a four to one paradigm by any means, but right. I think there has to be accumulation that leads to the point of functional overeating potentially, and then leading you into super compensatory hypertrophy. Because we know that these adaptive mechanisms exist that can push you beyond what the adaptation to simply like increasing the imposed demand of the resistance training in and of itself. Neurologically, especially, again, when you're as strong as cow, it's not as simple as progressively overloading every week. Because even if you're doing one set a week, it wouldn't take very long. You know, there's a a time window here for maximum stimulus. And it's not necessarily about, um, again, I think someone listening to this is probably good. Okay, cool. Well, Joe's sort of talking about working from, you know, the Dr. Mike thing. I I don't follow Dr. Mike that closely, but that sort of low volume up to high volume thing. It's not necessarily about that. It's more so a discovery. Let's talk about specificity, right? This will make more sense. So cows programming here, we've got pretty much everything on like, what would be a rough, not maintenance slightly above that for every body part. So kind of what you you need to get some kind of response, but we are moving up the volume through the legs only. Because we're trying to discover where that point is that adaptations can't be set any further beyond that point. Because that's the only way you're going to know if you're progressing maximally. Because, like, whichever way we want to cut it, volume is correlated with hypertrophy to a point like an S-shaped response, right? So there's a certain amount of sets that nothing happens, and then something starts happening, it does more and more and more, and at some point it'll bottom off. So I would rather have more volume with sufficient intensity. And progression has to be there as the mainstay. I'm not a volume zealot. I'm not a progressive overload zealot either. I think they all have utility and we need to include them all. And I want to see Cal because he's not a recreational trainer. He's a competitor. And again, I'm an anal coach. and I want him to be getting maximum. And we can see those correlations exist. How do we find that? By finding it, right? Getting the data and getting there.
0: You no, know, I think that's, that discovery, and this is what we, we talked about, like all this needs analysis and getting into what the general, like first client, whoever that may be, is you kind of have to know where they're at and whether that is, you know, do they understand RIR and going to a point of failure, but they also, you need to understand, like, what can they tolerate? Like, maybe they, maybe they are, like Cal, you had someone that was progressing the log that come back, like, hey, I beat everything, I'm doing great. Like, well, it's like, well, I guess we don't need to make a change, but what if we added something else in and you could get a little bit faster rate? It's like that question is still there. I mean, if someone's like, oh, man, I'm not progressing the gym. Well, let's drop some sets back and now we can get some strength progression. But now that's starting to look more like a strength training program rather than a hypertrophy program. So, you know, it's, it's these things of making sure you're looking at the right variables in progression but it does seem that there needs to be kind of this accumulation that happens. I think a lot of people argue on the timescale of which that that needs to happen. Um, Argumentably, with a more advanced person, to give enough stimulus since they need so much, um, it's probably is, it might be on a shorter timescale. And for to really progress that person forward, it it, it might, if you hold them more constant over several blocks or several weeks, you might not get as much response. and uh, that, that could be a realist realistic aspect to this, and so I, I assume like how like you 're not progressing up that vastly from your week one to week four as far as like number of sets go um, or no, I, the, the,
1: the important thing is as well like we're like joe said we're, experiment, we're experimenting with this just on my lower body only because that 's like the bias for the phase, so everything else within the programming is is staying at the same set point it was previously, and i 'm just like linearly progressing those sets. So most of those sets are maybe like one or two working sets. And then I'll have, at the moment, what have we got like a RDL of the front squat or something? And we're adjusting the amount of workload I'm doing on those movements specifically to see where that, to see where that kind, of, kind of tolerance is within this phase. But everything else looks the exact same as it did before. It's just, there are certain movement patterns here where we know, right, well, let's, let's experiment with this front squat and see what happens to my quads in eight weeks time once I've, once I've driven this up and you know those adaptations occur. Um, I think one thing that people will get confused with is trying to apply that to everything systemically. Cause obviously we know that's impossible to do anything with.
2: I think the total volumes would change in that case. I think there's a, there's a capacity volume you can get to. So if you're going to grow like systemically and you want to follow this like volume progression, that's cool. Maybe you'll get from like 10 to, I don't know, 14 sets per body per a week or something. Um, if you want to roll like a specificity block, like specialization block for your medial delts or something, you know, as benign as that, you could probably push it up to like thirty sets a week or something crazy. If everything else is on like super low volume maintenance mode, um, there, there's a it, it's more neurological, it's more sort of autonomic nervous system based rather than like muscular fatigue based here when it comes to things like that. It's the nervous system we're tempering with. And on that note, like Luke, you mentioned intensities. Do they need to increase and stuff like this? They absolutely don't. Like, I just don't think train to failure every set smart. I don't think that people need to go to one zero have this kind of intricate thing. Like, that's not some like special um, top secret intensity potentiation program. I think it just ties in so beautifully to progression and the periodization of the block. Because look, if we have to add reps to this movement and we're starting with two reps in reserve, well, it goes to one rep in reserve when we add the rep next week anyway. You know, Although there's going to be some degree of adaptation, how quick and how, I don't know. And then we're going to be adding a rep anyway. And then when we rinse it off, we know that we need to start at least higher than that last start point. So advanced trainees, training blocks, I don't think should ever be in straight lines. They should be up, down, but not as far down as the other ones died. And then up and down, but not as far down cause it has to be broken up like that for the nervous system to drive these adaptations. The demand is so high that the nervous system needs almost its own adaptation period, strange way to describe it. But if you zoomed out on the macro cycle, it would just be a positive trend line, but it's how we break it down to be manageable. Cause someone could say, well, oh, why can't Callum do a set to failure in the first week and then add a rep to every set to failure in the next week? Cause it's impossible like
0: yeah if you can do it cool no one can do that like no one actually trains or you're, you're micro loading right it's it's like you're you're adding yeah. like one pound or two pounds which is great
1: it's important to know as well i've done that for the last like three years non-stop right. so now it's like right well if that's brought me to this point like let because i'm i i was really like dogmatic in terms of what i knew worked and i was like i'm only gonna do this for the rest of my life i'm log bit progressive overload i don't need volume but then it's just a case of like being more open-minded now and being like, actually I'm going to, even from a coaching standpoint, I want to experience this and see what I take from it. And then that will kind of build upon my own thought process to what potentially is valuable and what's not. I don't want to, I don't want to sit in a camp where I only do one thing. Cause like I wouldn't coach like that. So I don't want to, I don't want to program myself like that either.
2: Yeah. It's just an unrealistic expectation. You know, like, well, I'm going to add 2.5 kilos to my deadlift every week forever. Well, You know you'll be 80 Hall in a year, and then who knows what happens from that, You know, <laughs> just beat uh, Thor's deadlift record.
3: <laughs> I think the I think the point to take out of this is the hyper specificity to the individual, right? Mm. Like that that four to one paradigm may be specific to Callum, but someone like me might not need a four to one paradigm yet, mm. right? Like I'm strong. I'm not Callum strong. I'll mm. be honest. Like it may not take a four-to-one paradigm for me yet, or it may not take a four-to-one paradigm for the clientele that you work with, right? And how that looks for each individual will vary. And that's more the point Joe I wanted to get out of you was the specificity of the application can change across the individual, but we have these vectors that we can manipulate in a program.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's literally no, there's no like set schema that I could give you today. Like here's the amount of time you could accumulate for and here's how you can deal it. Could be any any length of time, you know, like if, if I had this sort of novice female um, in the gym and we were just like adding weight really easy for ages, maybe something move up some body for ages. Who knows how long she's gonna run that for before we run into issues? Like could be six months. In an advanced trainee, it's not realistic. I like to be specific with the application of progressive overload. I don't like saying go in and try and add weight. Because what ends up happening there is like you'll add weight but then like drop three reps to like the total volume dip down, which I know isn't that key when it indicator, but then it takes you ages to get back to where it was before, and you're just doing the same thing anyway that we're doing here because you're adding some load like you've gone from the the fifty kilo dumbbells to the fifty two kilo dumbbells four kilos a pretty large amount of load increment in terms of a percentage you lost four reps, there you go. You've almost come down like we'd come down at the beginning of a block. Now you got to work those reps up over the block back to where you were and doing matching reps. All, all you've done is accumulate. It's the same thing, but I don't think it's the most productive way as compared to what we've got laid out here. So it's all the same thing at the end of the day. It's just how to lay it out in a, a manner where nothing is left to chance.
0: I, I want to bring up a point that you just uh, brought up in there, Joe, and pull that out because... Uh, the, the ones that just want to like, train all out and just do, do the progressions and, and the load um, to drop like down to your bottom end of your rep range, you would have to do a fairly large load progression. Um, and there's a lot of risk that goes along with that because what I've experienced within just – chasing the logbook and microloading along the way is like, yeah, you have days where you drop off and then like, well, what do you do with that, right? Um, But then also connective tissue damage is usually the reason that I'm having to deload. It's not because I've actually accumulated some others, you know, fatigue, uh, central nervous system fatigue. It's because I got like injured from trying to chase these, these progressions and you get, again, you're chasing the strength. Um, And I I think there's a lot of application within that of putting in some of these RIR targets um, and setting yourself up for success and limiting risk and injury, especially in someone that's advanced. Because, Cal, uh, I mean, chasing the logbook, I'm sure you've experienced a lot more injuries throughout that versus what you're currently doing, I I would would assume. I know this is kind of newer, but but, uh, still –
1: well, if, if, we, if we look back at my training for the last couple of years and what we've mapped out in this new format is, you know, the the highest level of exposure to stress in this training block that we've got mapped out now. I was doing that every single week for years, and I'd basically do it until I like couldn't do it anymore. I'd recover a little bit, then I'd go back to it. And now it's a case of like, well, you know, if, if I want to progress now at the same rate for the next two or three years... I could probably still do what I was doing before, but I think the progression would be much slower. And I think I'd run into a lot more injuries as I get heavier as well. Obviously the risk starts to increase even more because I get stronger. I run into a much more frequent bottlenecks just from the fact that I'm never kind of undulating the stimulus that I'm doing, because if we can get away with not having to go hundred percent all the time, but still adapting at the same rate, surely the longevity of that, that improves the what I can get from the next three, six,
0: nine, twelve 12 months. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely agree with that. And a attest to it even for myself and like trying to just dial back a little bit on certain movements. Uh, the injury risk is substantially decreased, especially getting to a higher level. You think about these things. Uh, like you, I, I, I personally find
1: like I find it really hard to do that as well, like psychologically. So almost like the framework that we made forces me to do it. Whereas yeah. I, I want to go into the gym and I want to be like, right, I'm going to fucking bury myself here. And I want I to I wanna take this front squat and I don't want to rack the bar until I faint. It's like, right, sweet, I can do that. But it's like, I can't do that forever. So this format just forces me to, right, what have I got on paper today? I'm just going to do that. Because I know in four weeks' time, that's going to put me in a better position than if I just went in and I gave it 100% every single time over and over again.
2: Yeah, and I think if we took a, like, um, almost if we had, what's a good, that's a good analogy. Like two cups. Yeah, right, stick with me on this one. Two cups, right, that represent a four-week mesocycle of an advanced athlete's training. And In one cup, you've got the sum of the productive work done, the sum of hypertrophy stimuli from going in and taking every set of balls out failure and doing you know what you could do over four weeks. And then you've got the sum of productive hypertrophy stimuli in the other cup following maybe a more intelligent progression scheme, some kind of accumulation in there. There's going to be more productive work done in that. Up. so the the sum of work done it, it sounds on the front like less like oh, i'm going to train with less intensity like actually if you zoomed out the sum of the work done because of the additional volume that you can train at um with the additional um quality um, so. too say
0: again quality too i mean if you're if you go like do a, a smash front squat of one set your quality of volume following will also be lower as well even if it's the exactly. same amount, right exactly
2: so it is a way to do more work because trust me i love training it's not about like i love training hard um i've trained like that for forever you know we all love training hard but i like growing even more so you know (laughs) frames it well i think in the in the sum of the work done just being a little bit smarter over it
0: so i'm interested to ask like so the communication between you two and and that that framework of your you have a setup going into the gym because I've, I've had this as well it's like you have on paper like this is your job to do today remember to hit your rep to hit this is how it should feel but there should be some auto regulation probably in place what, what's a specific example so someone listening to this it's all like conceptual in the cloud could take away so like say like we have this front squat example uh, Cal, I don't know what your front squat. Let's make you a
3: shit ton. Let's
0: say five hundred pounds, about <laughs> four hundred kilo. You know, yeah, kilos, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you do your four hundred kilo front squat at a two RIR. You hit eight reps. That was what Joe had prescribed for that week. Your initial week one. What happens to week two? What what is noted on that session to know how to move into the following week from there? What, what is the rate progression that you would you would pick on something like that? Um, just, is this a specific example that would, I think that would be helpful?
2: So when it comes to load progression on a movement like that, movements that are quite easy to micromanage load, I would prefer to use load over reps, ideally. So next week, we would want to see a one rep in reserve at 402.5, either match reps. You might get one more rep out because of that adaptation that's taken place there. Cow's a pretty good judge of that. I don't think tracking one rep in reserve is hard at all. I think knowing that you're going to fail on your next rep is pretty easy to judge um, when you're advanced anyway. So that's what we would see a little load movement, but then even before that, after the session, the week prior, for the days following, we'd maybe take a little bit of a look, a bit of a rain check on perceived recovery, what did you feel like after the session? How did you feel during the session? Uh, I didn't really get much of a pump and I just felt normal the next day. I didn't really get sore. You know, the magnitude of the stimuli probably could have been greater. So maybe that one set becomes two the next week, but that one set still is 402.5 for the match reps or one more, that's non-negotiable, but maybe we put another set on there and then Again, we rain check after that. I've got a massive pump on that. I've really sore for like three days. Cool. We'll just leave the sets there then, you know. Or maybe we'll take one more if you was just kind of sore for one day and, you know, you we're coming on to week four. Fuck it. Just blaze the life out of it, you know, put another set on there or something. Very auto regulatory as we go through. But what isn't auto regulatory are those load movements. They have to occur on those sets.
3: And then correct me if I'm wrong, but that informs the start point of the next four week micro, right? So you wouldn't start that next four week micro at the one set most likely, because you know that that's not, um, it depends. Yeah. So if
2: that was, the, if the example I gave with the one set where like, you didn't really get a pump and, you know, just felt easy, felt fine. I probably wouldn't start at one set. I, yeah. No. Okay. But if we saw sort of some disruption, um, and then at two, but we went like three, four, five, And I probably would go back to two, but with a little bit more load than last time. Then incrementally move it. So over time, the load is increasing. Sets kind of waver up and down because as you get stronger, sets will inevitably come down.
0: Okay. So we might
2: go 400, 402.5, 405, 407.5. Might start the next block at 405 or 402.5. And again, up, up, up. So the difference is now we're not progressively overloading every week. We're utilising intensity proximities or um, additional sets to allow that adaptation to settle in before we then take that load progression. Because we've already established that that isn't working for Cal anymore. So we need a way. We still have to progress load, right? We, we it's a you know a fundamental vector of hypertrophy. But how often do we need to do that? and come utilize other things along the way instead. Cause I know even people like Lar McDonald, he's probably listening to this like, Joe, I fucking thought we were friends. He's talking about reps and reserve and shit. <laughs> he, he will often say like, you don't need to progress every week. You can leave it four weeks, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, you know, for that adaptation table. And I entirely agree, you know? But Yeah, there's an argument like if,
0: you, if you went in and did, you did 400 pounds for eight reps, that you went in the next week and you, you don't assume that that 400 pounds for eight reps would not be stimulating it might be mm. a tiny less but it's still so stimulating stimulated. but at mm. some point there has to be a progression that takes place um yeah and that, the time scale is what a lot of people argue on. if i think if you zoned out a lot of these conversations the big keys are there and mm. just they're all just nuanced in how people are, are doing it along, along the way mm. i i find it's interesting as a from a fatigue management standpoint because we you brought up this and i want to hear and i know we don't have much time left here but this has been a growth phase of what we've been talking about but transitioning into a contest prep where you have this already have a chronic accumulation of fatigue throughout you know less calories there's usually more energy expenditure in place but now we have this um, hypertrophy scheme where there's this progression how does that progression slow down and that auto regulation of it because you you, you can't handle the same like definitely maybe a set volume progression or maybe maybe it's there or slower um how how does that change for you guys whoever wants to hit that one
2: i was gonna i think cal's frozen so i'll take it um so no no high degree of protein accretion is occurring in in a contest prep in an advanced athlete so i'm not too keen to I would never run like a specificity phase in a in a prep outside of like, well, you know, if I had a, a physique guy, yeah, maybe we'd have a little bit more medial doubt in there in terms of like cell swelling or localized nutrient partitioning or something. But to expect protein accretion to occur in suboptimal conditions in an advanced athlete that has to go to the next level to even get that to occur slightly in an off-season is a pipe dream. I'm much more interested in Fatigue management, keeping sympathetic tone as low as possible to maximize fatty acid mobilization and therefore oxidization in a 24-hour time block. So training for me becomes just a vector to maintain tissue. Um, if the if the individual's like getting barely any stimulus, yeah, sure, I would move upset sometimes. Yeah, it's going to help the expenditure. People like training. But if we're seeing tension bomb, I'm not comfortable with that. I'd rather move volume down. I'm more often moving volume down for a prep to what's like minimally not even minimally effective because it's not effective at high it's more like minimum for maintaining you know um, especially if these individuals are getting peeled up much rather they were putting their energy into effective expenditure because resistance training is just rubbish at expending calories um, or resting you know doing something that isn't massively nervous system taxing so specificity doesn't really exist in a prep for me
0: Will you still program those, uh, kind of pre-planned, uh, load and rep progressions? No. Okay. So, so the goal of going into a session, like this is what you did last session. We had, we had these, these examples. So for next session, what is the, what is the instruction? Hey, do your best to maintain it. If we see RIR creep up, then we're going to adjust In, in what way would you make an adjustment in like that situation, which occurs right on prep?
2: Yeah, exactly that. So if, Let's say said individuals going in to match it. If they match it, but they get a closer proximity to failure, I'm not too stressed because we are going to deload eventually anyway. I do still include deloads for, for a prep. And I'll probably just, by virtue of what we've discovered in the growth phase, even despite the accumulation of volume, follow the same kind of paradigm that we were sticking to. I mean, I'll be very honest with you, like 95% of my clients are enhanced athletes they're not losing muscle probably even if they're not training with the degree that we modulate muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis i'm not bothered about them deloading on a prep like for the most part if they want to the deal for a month it's not going to make a great deal of difference that's just me being honest with what anabolics actually do in terms of protein turnover rate modulation not if we're talking like the latter end of prep and they're peeled up you know. Then. We got a bit of a different conversation there um but if they get to the point where they're not able to match and they're going in on week one or like hitting complete failure to reach those same kind of tension times rep markers then for me there's a certain degree of accepting that that has to happen in prep but moving away from that it's going to be modulating volume down i'd much i'm much more interested in seeing that tension max so load on the bar kept even if it's just one set, the one set that you do for that movement, I want to see that matched, you know. Um, and if that moves down, we move volume down with it if we can. If not, is what it is. You know, as long as we're doing everything we can in terms of stress and sleep management outside of that window, again, I'm not really worried about people losing muscle tissue.
1: In a, in that prep scenario, well, i I'll use the analogy with clients, and you, you'll have heard it before, where it's like, the start of an off-season with a client, if you've got like a, a an 80-month you know, periodized block where we've got an off season and then we've got a prep. You know, the start of that off season is like the plane lifting off the lifting off the ground, and we're slowly starting to ramp things up as food and probably as anabolic start to peak. And obviously, the highest level of stress is in that mid-off season phase where the high, where the highest point of the altitude the plane's at. As we cross that bridge to prep, we're gradually starting to land that plane. So now we're starting to pull away this systemic stress from training volume because obviously food's reducing systemic stress and the body's increasing anyway so like for for me and joe i think we're gonna bookmark the majority of the training stress in that off-season phase where i know my body and my nervous system is accustomed to actually handle it in the first place that's where a lot of this uh, like intensification comes in trying to drive those higher echelons of volume where i can handle it and then the landing of the plane is that kind of removal of stress through, through prep. So you're essentially finishing with that kind of minimal effective dose to gradually land that plane safely to the floor. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you know, a lot of people are using this approach in, in accumulation phases and, and continuing like, because the idea of like, hey, what you built in the, in the off season is what you just keep doing in prep. And there's a, there's a template structure within that, that you do use, but you, you can't get carried away with it either. That if you keep a acu- like purposely accumulating, uh, load reps, sets stimulus on a contest prep, along with the accumulation of cardio calorie deficit, that you're probably going to drive yourself into a hole. That's going to take you, you know, maybe it is a true, like seven to 10 days to pull out of, um, with, with that deload on prep Joe, is this a, is this going to be a full-on deload that you're running someone not running someone into? But hey, we notice these this fatigue's accumulating. We have the timeline to drop fatigue. Does it, it necessitate like needing like the full seven-day deload? Is that is it even seven days? Because we're just trying to drop fatigue and get you back to training. So mm-hmm. it's whatever time course kind of that falls within. Uh, what 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 is your outlook on that? Do you have a set day or is it more? Um, hey, it's just going day by day, see how this client feels. And once they're, they're back to hit it again, you hit it.
2: Depends on the client. Because yeah. like I said, I work with a lot of um, competitors. And they're the worst people for this. So yeah, I feel 10 out of 10. Man. I train every day. I train all day. You know? Uh, you know, even in even in the off season, you know, we've been, these individuals up to like 120 sets a week. I feel great, man. I just train all the time. They actually feel rubbish you know their actual ability to read their own biofeedback is awful so for the most part I actually and I don't like this because I'd rather auto-regulate I love auto-regulation I think that is the optimal way to go about things but admittedly with 90% of my clients they have no ability like this is no like hate for my clients I, I mention this in check-ins all the time because I'm like this as well or rather I think I have been like this in the past like we go back to talking about emotional attachments it's an emotional attachment to training and thinking that you should be training all the time really coming from a misunderstanding of the hypertrophy process and how adaptations occur and you grow during adaptation, not during demand-driven activities, right? Um, so when it comes to deloading in prep, I'll just put this out there as well. I prefer to stay a bit ahead of the curve in terms of fatigue management. I wouldn't even wait for them to get to the point that they need a deload. I'd rather it be a little bit before that. I'm really precious on nervous system in prep, especially if we're going to use things like clenbuterol or Yehumbi, anything like sympathetically driving, sleep's already suffering because you know, you're know you in a substrate deficient environment or maybe, I don't know, the individual's using Tremolone or a chemical uncoupler, whatever, whatever's happening. There's a lot of things happening that aren't happening in the growth phase. So I prefer to be a little bit proactive in both deloading before they would need to and then even a little bit longer than they would need to. Um, and even then it comes into the discussion of what do we do during the deload. I think on paper, There'll be marginal improvements of the individual, maybe getting in the gym and doing like 50% volume, intensity, load or something on paper. So anecdotally, again, when it comes to emotional stuff, that's been a hindrance for a lot of my clients. And these days I just say, don't go in the gym. People that like to train hard, don't like to go in the gym and fluff. And I get you down. I wish I could have trained today. Oh, that was rubbish. Nobody watched me scream and do templates on the whatever, you know, haven't got my ego lift for the day. Um, so yeah, I think I'd just say longer
0: than needed and sooner than needed for the most part. So these, so for these individuals, those extra off days, you just have them follow their off day diet plan to match. So cause you don't want to take steps back, right. And have them go way into a surplus and Hey, post deload, I'm now, five pounds up. <laughs> uh, no, but I will
2: often use DLOs as diet breaks, quite okay. fun free diet break. So maybe we do like a, um, let's just use a four to one paradigm. that like we have four weeks on one week maintenance. And then I'll tend to ask them to do something in that time. They would be in the gym. Maybe just go for a walk with, with their partner, book a massage, have a nap, read a book, whatever, you know, something that's PNS driving and productive, not sitting around thinking about the gym.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that that comes down to just like planning out a contest prep timeline way, mm-hmm. way in advance because people are going to be like, well, how do I do that, Joe? Like I only, I only have like, you know, four weeks left to diet and I'm not in shape yet. I don't have time to run a diet break. It's like, well, this is, this is stuff that you're putting in w- with your clients 20, 24 weeks out when we're looking at the prep timeline saying, okay, these are the times that we kind of know you probably want to be pulling back or at least have those tools there to be able to do so if we need to. Um, rather than like, oh shit, can we deload? Like probably, maybe not, or we can't run a diet break. So, uh, you know, when Joe's speaking on this, I think yeah, that, that timeline's been set and you have a good prep in tune to be able to already implement these things in place and have a client that, that stays on track.
2: Yeah, so yeah, for clarity, I'm not asking people just to like skip the gym willy-nilly and go eat the ice cream, chill out or something. You know, again, I'm like super anal with coaching. Everything is planned and roadmapped, especially on a prep. You know, I've got a few guys that Cal knows like Christian and, and Gareth and, and stuff like this going into the PCA show. I already know exactly what they're doing right up to that date. And that's from six months out, everything is planned. So yeah, I'm, I'm not just saying take time off, but I am saying be more proactive with your time off because we all know the person that gets to the stage and there's a look that you can't quite describe. that's a bit sad bit flat, bit overcooked. Even the skin doesn't look right. Can't get full. This is this like overly sympathetically driven, tired. You know, there's a stark difference and I'm talking purely anecdotally here because we haven't got great evidence-based information on our bodybuilding contest preps. But the more relaxed I can bring a client into the show, every single time correlates with a better look and I've never seen muscle loss from proactively deloading in that structure ever in anybody natural or not so i do like to include that
0: No, i think it makes sense i think if you're getting to a point where you're driving up so much fatigue if anything that would be the time when you could be susceptible to muscle loss so that that slight step back to continue having solid stimulus uh, is is likely going to be continuing to maintain muscle or help someone's enhanced this could be someone that in that first phase of prep you're actually growing it happens, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rare, rare instances. I mean, you have guys pushing more PEDs or et cetera, which I know that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but we're, we're, we're getting here on time, guys. So I don't want to extend this, uh, you know, and take take away from y'all's, y'all's day any, any longer. But I know we kind of had a, we jumped around on our conversation and kind of dove into RIR and proximity to failure. But all, all this goes back to, you know, what are we doing to improve from our our stage look and assessing the timeline. What do you need? And a lot of this gets broken down into just that individual level like always and you know, having a baseline that we start with, looking at you know, movement and analysis and how someone's training, trying to maximize the stimulus and that we have a variety of variables to manipulate and not that you have the failure training program or the RIR training program, there's a multitude of variables to manipulate to cause a stimulus and adaptive response. And that throughout this conversation, it's like come to a lot of us like that we've been narrow-minded. And looking at a a one variable approach for too long and chasing and that there's just much, much more to that. And so and uh, I think within what I'm trying to do here with J3 University is be have an educating platform and that has to have an open mind and looking at uh, other ways of thinking and experimenting. And that's what we are in bodybuilders, right? We experiment a lot. And sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I think all, all in all, in, in, in looking at evidence and science and also in the trenches, uh, in, in having that open mind, it, it brings us to uh, trying to get close to optimal, <laughs> which is what we're always trying to do. I don't think it even exists, but that's what we always want. Um, but anyway, guys, I, I truly appreciate your time and, and y'all coming on here. I've wanted to, Joe, I've, t- I've talked to you on podcasts before. Uh, Cal, I've wanted to get in front of you and, and have a conversation for a while. So I, I do really Appreciate that. Um, for for any, any listeners that want to get in contact with you, follow your journey, um, look into your business. Uh, if, if y'all please feel free to uh, you know share your information. Where can people find you at? Uh, Joe, if you want to go, go first, and I'll make sure I put this in the show notes as well too.
2: Yeah. So, firstly, John, Luke, thank you for having us both again. It's been awesome. Anytime, anytime you want us, I'm down for it. Um, to find my stuff. Instagram is Joe underscore physique collective and um, the website is www.physiquecollective.com. The members portal on there is where I put all my educational stuff now. And it's not only me, it's um, all of the members of my coaching company as well. So we've got a guy there that does mindset. We've got a posing coach that, you know, we've got all the mandatories for all male classes on there. have got all kinds of stuff on there right down to how to make cream of rice from Christian. So, you know, all kinds of rubbish but the forum there is great, like a wicked community, and it's dirt cheap. It's literally like, how much is it? $6.99 a month. So cheap. And it's like way better than the Muscle Mentors as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> We
1: don't have any cream rice videos, sorry.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Um, yeah, my side, as we said last time, uh, it's, uh, if you just Google the Muscle Mentors, it's uh, www.musclementors.com um and then instagram i'm obviously just callum underscore the muscle mentors and then the rest of the guys if you just type in the muscle mentors it will uh, it will come up but um yeah the education portal is where we house all of the kind of informative uh, content for coaches and then uh the rest of the stuff is kind of
0: spread across everyone's individual instagrams awesome well i'll have that link down below uh again guys thank you again for coming on this is j3 university and we will talk to you next time